Waves, man, what a time to be alive. What a time to be at this event. Unprecedented times, Michael Vincent. We did a bunch of these virtual events last year. I didn't know we'd be having deja vu this year talking about these same crises, and now they're only worse. Yeah, it's just deja vu all over again to coin a phrase. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm doing her. That's the, I know. Does that even make sense now? I'm like, did I just double broker my load? I'm not really sure right there. George Abernathy will get that reference. Yeah, he will. Yeah. <laughs> He'll get that reference. Through the penalty flag. Well, hey, everybody, there's been some great conversation going on here as well. Some of your some of your comments that you were making in here, we're going to talk to our own Greg Miller about. I think he'll have some great answers. He's hitting on your topics. I love the debate about the chassis, and I also love that the whole community is yeah. coming together to try and talk out a lot of these solutions, and I think it's really the time for that because the old way of, of questioning ideas all the time, right? Telling people that yeah. they're wrong or yeah. that won't work or, or we've tried that before sure. or being dismissive, I think we're beyond that. I think now is, is the time for, for some solutions that are going to take a lot of collaboration between all the intermediaries in these supply chain as we're seeing all these issues expand throughout it. There's not just one single link as Gene was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where, you know, you talk about, you make fun of some of the buzzwords like transparency, right? Yeah. This is, I mean, this is where it comes from, right? The, the talking and being transparent about the data and the issues and, the, and that collaboration to really move things forward. The stressors on a society bring the movement forward. By the way, I'm Dooner. That's the dude, Michael Vincent. This is What the Truck. We are a live show three times a week on Freightways TV and podcast players Everywhere. Some pretty cool news, though. The largest ship on Earth, the Ever Ace, has made its port in Sri Lanka. Nice. Let's take a look at it right here. Look at that gigantic beast. That thing right there, that holds 23,992 TEUs. Now, they're cheating a little what? bit. They're calling it a 24,000 TEU vessel, but I think the engineers screwed up and they shorted it by eight. Ah, it's close enough. <laughs> it's close, close enough. enough. It's close enough. Well, it's a good thing that this ship is, is back out and on the water because... Oh, our old chestnut over here, the Ever Given, is uh, in China right now for repairs. It's going to be, it arrived on Monday. It's going to be uh, sitting in port for now three weeks. So the Ever Given, it holds, what, t over 20,000 TEUs. So 23,000 20, TEUs 20, taken yeah. out of capacity as they repair the bow of the Ever Given. Not, not huge ones, but it's, it's going to take a few weeks. Yeah, they got to get the sand out of it, don't they? Something I think like they that. do. Yeah. Shouldn't they be, like, uh, calling ahead for their berth in LAX right now? I mean, when they get out, it'll be about time to get out of Anchor, I would think right? so. Don't <laughs> they call LAX, I'm not even sure. It was through the Suez last time. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we got yeah. a murderer's row of guests today. It's John Olszewski, CEO of Derive Systems. We got Shruti Bansi, principal and product manager at Kepler. We got Carlos Medina. He's the president over at Spillbully. We got Greg Finnerty, vice president of operations at Concept Logistics. We have Greg Miller. He's a senior editor here at Freight Waves. You saw him earlier in the show with uh, Gene Soroka yeah. during the keynote. So with that said... Let's tip the band. Let's do hey, it. Cargo's platform is an efficient way to reduce costs associated with payment processing and eliminates the need for, for, for traditional resource-intensive payment forms such as checks, vouchers, wire transfers, and cash for all your logistics providers. I'll tell you what, Duna, I pity the fool. I pity the fool who does not go today and register at pay, <laughs> paycargo.com. I pity him, man. Don't Absolutely. do it the old way, man. Get your cargo released in hours, not days. 
hours, my friends. Well, let's talk to Lionel Vanderwalt. He's the global chief commercial officer at Pay Cargo, the company we were just talking about that's going to get you paid in days, in hours, not days. That's and, right. um, you know, one thing about him is he wrote that one of the defining moments in his career was his officers training in the South African Air Force. And their motto over there is through hardship to the stars. Well, today we're talking about hardship through the seas. Lionel, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time and the opportunity to be here. Oh, well, Lionel, I detect an accent over there. Where are you uh, calling in from? North Carolina, can't you tell? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's definitely North Carolina. <laughs> born and raised, born and raised. Well, you know what? Hey, we just sort of read a little bit about pay cargo to the audience here, but why don't, in your own words, why don't you tell us what you do over there? Excellent, thank you. Yes, so originally from South Africa to answer your question, but uh, yes, yeah, so pay, pay cargo, most people consider us to be a payment company. When I think about pay cargo, I think of us. We're as a financial tech company driving sustainability and economic growth uh, across the logistics industry. We are a company that's basically made up of logistics and payment professionals. And what we do is we use technology to facilitate uh, modernization and transformation uh, in terms of payments within the logistics industry. So investing a lot of time and money in technology, people and resources to achieve that. And Something that's interesting that a lot of people don't realize is we don't actually touch the money. We're just facilitating those processes, ensuring that the money flows from payers to vendors securely via for benefit of accounts that we do not even have access to. So really helping to modernize, uh, drive efficiencies, transparency in terms of payment data, etc. Very, very good and, and very, very interesting. And there's others, Lionel, trying to innovate in this space as well. So what sets uh, Pay Cargo apart? What makes you guys unique? I think what makes us really unique is, as I mentioned, we are a group of individuals that's a mix. A lot of the team came from the logistics industry. So PayCargo started out on the maritime side and we got uh, key stakeholders and founders from the maritime carrier side, from the forwarding side. And that's where the event initially evolved from was people getting frustrated with cargo not being released on time and being held up by inefficient payment processes. And then that transformed basically and, and moved across to all modes uh, post that. So really, I think one of the key factors here is that we understand the industry. We know the pain points, but we're also not arrogant. We go out there, we spend a lot of time listening to the various stakeholders, uh, be it from the, the vendor or the payment side, and then being customizable. So PayCargo is not a rigid platform. We're a team and we're highly... Uh, highly flexible in terms of our solutions. So identifying new issues every second day and then working with our clients to bring in solutions that can really help transform those payment challenges. Yeah, well, what are they saying? I mean, this has been a really challenging market. And as you can see in our comment section, people have a lot of things to say about this, a lot of different ideas on, on fixing this situation. What do mm -hmm. they want the cargo, what do they want fixed with cargo payments? And, and how, are you, how are you helping there? What are their sort of main pain points right now, especially as the dynamic has shifted over the past 18 months? Absolutely. I think COVID had a huge impact on the industry for, for each and every one of us across the value chain. We were well positioned as a company, as an online payment platform. So you as you can imagine, when COVID struck, everybody was stuck at home, but business had to carry on. So all of a sudden, people were used to face-to-face -face and very manual labor-intensive payment processes, had to find a new way of doing business. So we saw a huge amount of growth. We had about 250% growth that we're going to have this year versus uh, 2020. 
And that is because everybody needed uh, a payment process that they could access remotely, number one. And number two, uh, help them to expedite cash flow because obviously that's one of the biggest issues we see within the industry right now. Cash flow is really, really tight. And then obviously with all of the issues that we're seeing at ports, you know, cargo being held up, we cannot afford within the industry to have payments being one aspect that's just adding complexity to the process and, and holding up uh, the release of cargo, et cetera. So when people are speaking to us, it's, it's all those factors, helping to expedite the flow of cargo, getting visibility on the data a lot quicker, and then especially cash flow. And for the small to medium players, a lot of them are struggling to do business with some of the, the, the larger carriers and stakeholders out there. So through PayCargo and PayCargo Capital, our sister company, they also get access to financing, which enables them to do. So Lionel, you know, we're, we're, we're having this whole uh, summit today and we've been talking about it forever, trying to find those ways to improve the congestion, the efficiencies at the port. You heard from Gene Soroka earlier, they're, they're smoking it, right? They went from 10 to 15, like a 50% increase in their, in their efficiency sure. and productivity, which is no small feat. And still we have backups, et cetera. And we hear about these physical type of and data that's backing this up. What percentage of that backup when your estimation is due to the payment inefficiencies that you guys are solving? It's very difficult to estimate that. I haven't ever seen, and that's one of the problems we have in the industry, is really getting access to reliable data around some of these pain points. But it's significant. It's really significant. If you, especially in the North American market, uh, there's still a lot of check payments happening out there, you know, runners moving the documents across to have the payments processed, etc. Um, so I, I think it's a, a significant value add that we bring to the marketplace. One thing I will add is that, you know, there's these various different areas where people are working on to digitize right now, but we need to take care that it's not sort of siloed in the way that we're approaching this. And that's one of the areas that PayCargo is working on is to have this very open collaborative approach, because we, I think you need to have, you know, a, a really transparent data flow across all the areas of the value chain. And if you just got the payments sorted out, but you don't have, you know, the scheduling to pick up uh, the actual cargo, for example, included in that uh, as another area, um, then, then you don't get the full benefit of it. So having all those integrations across the various areas and the seamless flow of data is critical for the whole value chain. Well, what kind of barriers do you run up against? Like, why do you think that some stakeholders are resistant from transferring to either digital payments or pay cargo or any other platform that were, operates in that space? What, what's the pain point or what is the, uh, you know, what's the resistance that you're coming up against? Mm. Well, I think, firstly, I, I give kudos to a lot of people in the industry. I think a lot of people have invested a lot of time and effort now, especially with COVID driving, um, to modernize and, and, and really look, really look um, how they are implementing new technology. So I see a definite change taking place, but there is still a lot of people out there and a lot of companies that are lagging. And, and I think there's various different reasons. Uh, you know, obviously there's money behind some of these uh, outdated processes, people who, are, who have created businesses around that. So they will clearly resist any uh, attempt to modernize or, or change uh, their processes. Over and above that, I think you also need to segment the market slightly because the, the problem that we're talking about here is different for small to medium versus the larger organizations. Larger organizations are sitting with issues around multiple complex um, you know, systems that they're using uh, internally. It, it's sometimes a mess, and those systems aren't even speaking to each other. 
So bringing in new technologies, et cetera, is challenging. I think a lot of them want to do it and they're busy with projects, but it's time consuming and it's expensive. Fortunately, boards are now paying attention with everything that's happened during COVID. And one of the silver linings, obviously, is that the light has been shone on our industry and how important it is and the impact it has on economies and, and the life of average day you know, citizens out there. Because if you had to take you know, the, the logistics industry away, you know, life as we know today would definitely not be the same. And then for the small to medium players, they're really struggling in terms of cash flow and doing business. Mm -hmm. So we really have to make sure that we've got processes and systems and solutions out there that are cost effective and, and can give them a lot of benefit, but low entry. So no obstacles for them being able to adopt it. Yeah, and Lionel, you make up a, a you make a very very good point. You know, there's there's we were talking about this earlier before the show. There's manufacturers in China. Their inventory is sitting on is sitting uh, on the docks, and they can't finance an S thing. So if the efficiency is moving the cargo, but also freeing up capital, mm. right, for those companies. Yeah, no, all great points, Lionel. Hey, before we let you go, as we told everyone, go over to pay cargo. I, I can't help but notice that bookshelf behind you. So we'd be remiss not to ask, what re recommend a book to us from your bookshelf? <laughs> there, there are so many great books out there. Um, you know, one, one of the, the books that I've just finished reading, and I'll just actually show you, um, is right from the start. Ooh, uh, I no, think nice. it's a great read. And it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm a book nerd, so I spent a lot of time uh, reading books. The other one that I really, really enjoyed recently was Railroaded, which, which gives a... Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. I know that. right? See, our minds went different places. I'm, I, I'm, thinking, I'm looking in the corner over there. I'm thinking, I wonder what his handicap is. Could I take him? Oh, because of the golf clubs. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well next time you run into <laughs> Golf is my handicap, but we were, I'll be gladly going out with you guys. In <laughs> awesome. If it ever stops raining here in Chattanooga. Hey, Lionel, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, everybody, we're going to come back for another session. We have to go into a break. Uh, our next guest, I actually see him on the preview screen right now, yeah. frantically looking at his bookshelf to decide which one yeah. he, he will recommend in case, we hit him, in case we hit him with that question. Right now, we're going to bring up Greg Miller. He's senior reporter here over at Freightways. He has just been crushing the ocean beat and what a wild time it's been. You know, Greg, I couldn't help but notice you were checking out that bookshelf. You were thinking, what book would I recommend to the Ocean Waves audience? So, you know, I won't go 10 minutes here and make you forget it. Why don't we lead off with that? Which book on that bookshelf should we be reading? There's, a, there's just too many to choose from. Let's, let's move on to shipping. Let's move uh, on to shipping. I, I wanted right. to ask him what was the most embarrassing title on that bookshelf is what I wanted to ask him. Well, <laughs> which way you is not high enough for you to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Greg, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show today. I really enjoyed your keynote session with Gene Soroka. He had... Um, he had a lot to say. The comment section didn't agree with everything. I agreed with some. Um, I've been talking to a lot of poor truckers. They didn't agree with everything. Well, but, you know, I think mostly what he said sounded right. What were your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, his point is there's, there's, all, there's all these ships coming in. The terminals are doing a great job. They can't stop the ships from coming in. And if you look past the walls of the terminal, uh, you know, there's problems with truckers, with warehouses, uh, with shippers. Um, so basically, everyone's looking at everybody else is, is what the problem is. So, uh, you know, but the problem with the truckers is, okay, maybe they're not showing up, but what, what, they, can't, they can't do enough turns. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the shippers, maybe they're not picking things up fast enough. Well, there's all sorts of reasons for that. And the warehouses aren't working overnight, but that's not their business model. So uh, the point to me is that there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen here 
which means that there's no simple answer. It's just going to be baby steps, which means this is going to take a long time. That's not very um, encouraging. No, it's not. Well, well, one of the things that the port is saying that I've talked to some inland truckers. A lot of them have actually reached out recently because they are a a little bit upset about the narrative that is coming out of the port where they're saying that, you know, truckers are missing 30 percent of appointments. Only 50 percent of registered truckers are stopping by. And they're saying, look, there's a really good reason for this. And that is the chassis pool is empty and the line is two miles long to get into it. So making those turns is completely inefficient. And they don't think that the blame should sit squarely on their shoulders. But Maybe to your point, maybe we should stop pointing blame and try to figure out how we can actually work together and make this. Because as I read just last week, with 24-7 operations, right, I don't think much cargo has actually been moving out during those operations. Actually, a week ago, they said none had moved out yet. I'm not sure if that's changed. Yeah, I mean, I think of it like like a funnel. And, you know, the big top part of the funnel is the ocean and the shipping services. And there's really no effective limit to how much can come in. And the, and the, bar, the, the narrow nozzle is the land-based. And there's, the reality is, I think, is that this is going to continue until either uh, there's a sharp decline in demand on the U.S. side or there's a sharp demand in supply from the Chinese side due to some sort of crisis. And we saw both of this happen back in 2020. Uh, remember, Yanti, I'm sorry, Wuhan in the beginning cut off the cargo coming here. And then a couple months later, very quickly, the shippers uh, stopped their bookings because of the lockdowns here. But barring something like that, I think this is going to really extend. It seems like it's hard to imagine how this isn't going to extend, you know, for at least next year. Uh, And so that brings up all sorts of other issues about how people should be planning for the duration of this. So, Greg, when we're talking about the the issue of moving these things in and out and with the chassis, as Duna was mentioning, you know, there's no chassis available and you're relying on these chassis pools and there's suggestions, you know, every container should be shipped with a chassis. Now, obviously not on the on the ship with it because that eats up all the room and it's not logistically possible. But steamships should be providing the chassis with each TEU shipment. Uh, is that a solution or do you see That's something going that way? It's a question. That's a question right? from Old Ann. Old Ann said, oh, good sorry. morning from Atlanta, yeah, Georgia. Ann. She says steamship ship lines need to go back to providing chassis with their containers. You can't ship a container without a chassis. But Greg, wouldn't that cause capacity issues with that? If you're putting chassis under every container, you got to stack those on the boats. That's not really the way shipping well, works. That's not where the interlocking of the containers work. Yeah, of course, of course. And I mean, you have to look at a shipping line. It's, shipping line is a business. A shipping line has is, is looking to make money for its shareholders. Uh, you know, that's that's their job is to make money. And they're going to make a lot of money here uh, and they're going to pay down their debt. And then they, if they have still have extra, you know, buy more ships. And if they have extra money, they're going to give it to themselves through a dividend or a special dividend. That's their, that's their job. And I think that people need to look at the shipping industry and realize, uh, you know, they're, they're in this business to make money uh, for the long term. And I, I see the blame game going on here. But, you know, put yourself in the shoes of a public company that's there to make money. And I know that sounds harsh, but uh, uh, my landlord's in the business to make money and I'm upset at him, but, you know, I get it. Yeah, but did he raise building. your rent? Did he raise your rent uh, 10x, you know, oh, since the start of the pandemic? But probably not. In fact, you had a, you probably well, had a well, moratorium on eviction in case you had a thing. So I don't know if the analogy really works there, but we're entering a very interesting time, Greg, because a lot of steamship lines and shippers are entering contract negotiations. And one thing I'm seeing the carriers, the NVOCCs, and some 3PLs try to popularize are multi-year agreements. Now, we kind of know how contracts go in freight on land and on ocean. They're usually not even worth the paper they're printed on. Um, but they're saying these long-term 
these long-term contracts are buying short-term capacity. But how are they going to stick? I mean, it seems like shippers are going to want their revenge if the market turns. Yeah, they're definitely going to be turning toward. I mean, if you look at the spot rates now, there's you know it, it's highly unlikely that the spot rates are going to fall significantly. Uh, you know, during the first half of the year when contract no- negotiations are underway. And what the carriers uh, are, you know, Marisk has already done this. And what the carriers are going to do is say, listen, if you do it one year, it's going to be a lot more expensive than it was in 2020. They're, you know, they're going to jack up those one-year rates, but we'll give you a better uh, deal on year one if you do a three-year and maybe the second and third year are fixed, or maybe you can come to an agreement on some sort of index uh, so that you can build that into it. Um, but this is good for the carriers uh, because you know they have they, ha- they obviously have some capacity coming online in both 2023 and 2024, and and they're they're going to want to lock in um, you know some of this upside here. Um, so I, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, excellent. So uh, George uh, or Greg, should should the government be getting involved with this, and how much can they really get involved with this type of stuff? Well, I'm sure they can, uh, you know, get involved very much on the demerge and detention side of it and the fee side of it. Um, but as far as the big picture, um, I, I I just don't see it. Um, you know, you, you can't you can't cap the prices. Uh, that's not going to you, you just can't do it. I mean, uh, and these are foreign companies. Well, call them out. Yeah, exactly. Call them out. What are you going to do about it? We just sold Ports America to Canada, you know, to the largest ports in, in the U.S. is now owned by a Canadian company. So now it's, it's even more difficult. So you got foreign-owned steamship lines. you got a port owned by Canada. I mean, what are you going to do? Not that LAX is, but, or LA. But, Craig, here's what the great, there's one more comment here, and I want to see what you think. This was a really interesting one. And it's just more maybe a statement of the market, and I want to know if you've heard more about this. It says, hi, Rebecca, I'm a freight forwarder. Yes, we are trying to source carriers that own their own chassis versus carriers that pull from the port's pool, as many of the ports have no inventory inventory available, especially at the larger ports. So huge competitive advantage right now for carriers that have their own chassis, right? It sounds like it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, I yeah, that was I, I'm, I'm not an expert on the subject, so I don't want to go there. <laughs> okay, yeah, hey, I can respect that. Sometimes Absolutely. I like to just BS, but I, you know, that, that's that's me. No, I'm not well, Greg, that. tell me this, man. Tell me this. How long is this going to last? Is it really going to go into 2023 and beyond? And what ends it? Is it collaboration or is it a, a recession? Yeah, I mean, barring some sort of, as I say, some sort of crisis. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But if 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 we're continuing along the path that we go now. Yes, it seems like it's going to continue next year. And people look towards all these new ships that are coming in 2023 and 2024 as the solution. But I'm not I'm not so sure uh, because the carriers, as the carriers would say, the number of ships in the world doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the number of ships we put in service. So if they get all those new ships and there's no demand, they'll just pull they'll just use blank sailings to lower their own capacity down to meet demand. And and they'll take these these take the new ships in, and they'll let the ships they have on charter go off to the extent they can, or they'll sell their older ships. I mean, remember, there's all these ships out there that should have been scrapped by now. All these old rust buckets are out there right now, and so once the market goes down, there's a huge chunk of capacity that can just be sent to the breakers. MSC just bought hundreds of ships or 100 ships. Once you know they earn their money back in the next year, they can just sell it off or scrap them. So I'm I'm not so sure. I think people uh, need to sort of come to grips with the reality that 
if your business model depended upon pre-COVID ocean freight, uh, you might uh, you might have to start thinking about being in another business. Uh, there's just there's nothing you can really do about it. Wow! Wow! Strong words by Greg Miller. Yeah. Check out his articles on FreightWaves.com. Greg, thank you so much for your time. Here's a little cowbell for old times' sake. I mean, the last time I rang that around you was to wake you up at Transparency 19. Can't wait to see you in person I remember again, that. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy, brother. Have a good one. Hi, man. All Me right, too. now we're, we're going to bring on John Olszewski, CEO at Derive Systems. This is a really interesting company. They started out trying to make performance vehicles and hot rods and all of those things. And, yeah, and now cool they're kind of going the opposite direction. Now they're trying to reduce the carbon emissions and carbon footprints of fleets and vehicles altogether. So let's bring them up. John, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing around the dude. I'm, I'm so, uh, so happy to be on your show, man. <laughs> Where's your hot rods, man? Are you, are you like a lifelong gearhead? Were you, were you wicked into hot rods growing up? No, not at all. Uh, actually, about the the best, the most I do is I have a, a big old uh, Dodge 3500 with a with a Cummins uh, turbo diesel. That that's uh, that's my hot rod. Uh, that I drive around. Okay, I thought maybe he was like you know tweaking out goats and stuff like that back maybe. in the day, GTOs, etc. Et no, no, I wish, I wish. I got a I got a whole uh, group of people here that do that, and I'm so jealous because they uh, you know they do such great stuff. But uh, I, I'm just a truck guy. Right. So tell us about Derive. It went from a, uh, it says it came from a hot rod company and now you're reducing carbon emissions or carbon footprints. Yeah. Why the pivot? How yeah. the pivot and how to go on? Yeah. So our technology is pretty cool. So uh, we have two business units. One we call the enthusiast business unit, the other the enterprise. The enthusiast business was all around the hot rods, right? So that was a technology that we were able to read from the engines, from the computers, make changes, and then write back for more speed, torque, power, you know, et cetera. Um, and then we said, hey, there's got to be an adjacent market for this. And we started looking at what if we take that same technology and moved it over to the uh, enterprise side or the fleets and said, hey, instead of tuning it for more speed, torque, power, et cetera, we started tuning it for the maximum fuel efficiency and the maximum carbon reduction. And uh, that's what, what, how we introduced what we call the VQ platform or the VQ efficiency and VQ safety applications. So we're thinking in terms of global supply chains and a lot of the people who are listening today, a lot of the shippers who are listening um, and, you know, the carriers themselves are, are looking for ways to reduce that. Stakeholders care now. Uh, stockholders care now. Investors care now. The public cares now. How impactful can using fleets as, as an inroad to that be, reducing carbon from fleets versus like, I don't know, trying to reduce your carbon footprint through the, the factories or airlines or ocean ships? Huge. I mean, this is this is where we're going at. Just to give you a couple of uh, some numbers, guys, there are six point two million vehicles in fleets. And these are class one through sixes uh, in the U.S. today. If you just took 15 percent of those and put the VQ efficiency software or technology on there, that's like re removing one point two million metric tons of carbon from the atmosphere. That's like taking seventy four thousand vehicles off of the road. And so that's really what we're trying. Our message we're trying to get out to everybody is say, hey, listen, guys, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you can do to re reduce your carbon footprint. But there's something staring you straight in the face right day, right now. And that's your existing fleet. Let's get some efficiency technology on there and let's uh, let's start helping the environment right now and get you to save some money. Just to give you, a, you know, a, a real high level, Comcast, a huge customer of ours. They put on our VQ efficiency technology. They save uh, about $8.2 million a year on fuel. 
And more importantly, they get, you know, 24,000 metric tons of carbon reduced from the atmosphere. So it's it's a win win. You're, you're helping the environment and you're saving money at the same time. That's awesome stuff. So you guys are also working with uh, uh, Congress and the EPA to see how you guys can help the current administration, Joe Biden, get to the 2035 goals. Uh, is this becoming more and more of a consideration to use this type of stuff? Or is this a main platform now instead of just going towards alternative fuels or electric? It is. And, you know, everybody's really fixated on let's move all to electric. And yeah, that's that's great. That's the way to go, et cetera. But that's a that's a long process. So what can we do in the in the short term is really what we're, we're uh, working with the administration. There's what's uh, what's called the STEER Act. I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with this or not, but it's it's STEER stands for Supporting Trucking Efficiency and Emissions Reduction Act. Um, and it's, uh, you know, starting to come uh, out and it's a voucher program really focused at the class eight vehicles and giving them uh, vouchers to put efficiency technology on their vehicle. So we're right behind that. We're trying to work with, uh, you know, all the folks out on Capitol Hill when they're uh, when they're not, uh, you know, in gridlock and uh, <laughs> trying to help them get something moving uh, along this path. Uh, it's it, you know it's tough because the temperature has been just so contentious over these past couple of years too, and everyone's trying to get points over each other. And you know at some point an inch has to give. We do have a bipartisan infrastructure bill. What are your thoughts on that, and where do you think that uh, your solution fits in? Yeah, I think the infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure bill needs to go right. It needs that needs to go now, and it needs to like start looking at how do we start making uh, progress today uh, on these uh, on these emission standards, and so. You know, I, I think, you know, our technology slides right in uh, with that. It slides in on, on the STEER Act. And, you know, we'd, uh, we're trying to work with both sides of the aisle here and say, hey, guys, listen, we think we have some really good stuff that can uh, not only help the environment, but also save companies money. A lot of times when you're talking about efficiency technology, it's this huge investment that people need to put in. And, you know, it takes a long time for the ROI. Our technology, literally, the ROI starts happening within the first couple months. Uh, you know, if you get to the monthly recurring revenue of what what folks uh, need to put on there, this is like, you know, nineteen ninety nine a month, and they're saving thirty five bucks a month on gas. So the ROI is is right there, and uh, you know, it's starting to get you know a lot of traction at this point. It's great stuff. So uh, you guys just surpassed five hundred thousand metric tons of CO two emissions removed from fleets. How did you accomplish that number? So it, it's uh, it's been through uh, a number of years uh, of uh, implementing our BQ efficiency software, and we, we put that on vehicles, and then we track uh, every month how much uh, carbon and fuel savings on all the vehicles that have our technology. And uh, yeah, we we just reached that 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 milestone. It was a huge milestone for us, and uh, yeah, pretty excited about it. Now, a lot of the fuel like efficiency software that that I see is. Um, is on the driver training side. So it gives the driver a lot of feedback on the type of driving they're doing and how that's contributing to their mileage, their gas usage, and actually their CO2 output. Is this similar to what this system does? Yeah, actually, I think it's just the opposite, right? So a lot of, of uh, solutions have been going after, you know, managing the driver. And we kind of flipped that on its head and said, we're not going to manage the driver. We're going to manage the vehicle. We're going to set up the vehicle one time, and it doesn't matter who's driving it. You're going to get the exact same efficiency, uh, you know, on that vehicle. So we, you know, we kind of, we kind of, you know, flip the switch on that, and uh, and and that's a lot of our fleet, uh, our owner operators and fleet operators like it because they don't have to worry about 
the training of each individual driver. They say, hey, you're going to drive this vehicle. It's set up to do this, and they know it's going to do it. So, John, do the, do the drivers notice the difference in these things? They don't, right? So um, we, we do uh, make sure that we put a little sticker on there and say this, this vehicle is, uh, you know, has uh, the VQ efficiency technology in there. Um, the, they may see a little bit of an idle difference, uh, but outside of that, they don't see any performance issue. When they press the gas pedal, the, the car goes or the vehicle goes. Uh, so, that, you know, nobody's coming back and saying, oh, my God, this, this thing drives so much different. Uh, it's, uh, it's really kind of transparent to the, to the driver. Wow. Well, Hey John, I really like what I, what you had to say today. Everyone out there, check out D arrive system. Super cool. What he's doing. Thank you for joining us here at ocean waves today. Sounds good. Hey, hit me with some cowbell on the way out, man. There you go. Three star uh, performance, my friend, take it easy. Awesome. Thanks guys. Take care. All right, now he's talking about reducing energy usage, especially with fleets. A big yeah. issue you've been going on is commodities right now. You're hearing about the energy issues over in China, right? Sure. India, coal shortage. United States um, has had some energy shortages. It's not Banning really Banning Australian coal into this. Asia. So, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Why do they ban Australian coal? Maybe we'll find I out. I don't know. Let's talk to Shruti Bansley. She's the uh, principal freight product manager at Kepler. And I believe that she is coming in from Dubai, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. Hi, guys. Now, Hello. I've got to show you something really quick. Can you guys throw up that picture? So my son built this about a week ago. It's a Lego model of uh, Dubai. You got Burj Khalifa on there. Look like? Does that look pretty accurate to what you see when you go outside? Yep, yep, pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> for, for people who don't know, the tallest building in the world is in Dubai. It's Burj Khalifa, and it is 2,716 and a half feet. Yeah. The Ever Ace, the tallest steamship in the world that we long. showed you earlier in the show, is 1,300 feet long. So if you took the Ever Ace and you stood it up, and then you took another one on top, it's basically the same size as the tallest building in the world, just to put some perspective on how gigantic that these sh- steamship lines are Yeah, now. only two of them, and it reaches the top of that tower sure that's huge. but it takes a lot of energy to move those kind of things so tell yes, us a little a bit about what kepler does okay so kepler is a data and analytics company um, um our mission is to facilitate efficient and sustainable trade um we primarily focus on commodity flows like you mentioned and also all the ocean freight related to those uh, commodities we focus primarily on oil and gas um as well as dry bulk um, and of course, we focus on gas carriers, oil tankers, and dry bulk. So what we offer are a set of technology-based solutions um, that can help you understand the market a bit deeper, um, derive commercial decisions based on those information, monitor your competition, and basically achieve um, more efficiency in your uh, business. Yeah, so Shuni, welcome to the, welcome to the show. Uh, so it, it's interesting to look at these commodities because we look at the maps and we look at the maps of the truck or the uh, ships at anchor and we're looking yeah. at northeast ports and there's all these uh, tankers out there. You've got oil out there and you've got sure. heating oil, et cetera. What's going on in the commodity market? Are they as backed up as, we are, as, as, as the container shipping is right now? Yes, I think uh, two key themes we've seen over the last one year, and, and that's uh, also currently what's happening. One is uh, just like containers, we have supply chain inefficiencies, uh, be it in terms of how is the fleet moving and how do we have congestion building up, uh, which is delaying uh, movement of commodity flows. And on second hand, we have this global energy cli- crisis that is evolving as a theme, be it the gas shortage in Europe, uh, the power crunch in China. Uh, that's driving all the freight prices and the commodity prices up uh, lower stocks. So those are the two themes uh, that we see come back to us again and again. 
Now, what's going on in China right now? It's starting to spook a lot of our, a lot of the shippers out there who, you know, they, the last thing they want is more factories to shut down and close. We already had to contend with COVID doing that and, and helping mm-hmm. contribute to these backed up supply chains. Um, I know some factories are already being shut down. Some whole provinces are, are, are shutting down. Uh, they've talked that it could be a coal issue, but I've also heard that it might have something to do with the green initiative that's going on in China as well. What is going on in the commodity market, especially in energy in China right now? So essentially, because of the green initiative, there is a push to use more and more gas for power generation and other things. But of course, there are supply shortages and it has not been planned properly. So they are running low on stocks. And that's driving, I think just a few hours ago, I read that uh, the uh, LNG Asian prices have hit like again record highs. So and then what is your fallback option? We talk about green initiatives a lot, but again, because of a bad management or just supply not being available there, they fall back on coal. And those two together are driving um, whatever uh, bull runs that we are seeing in the market right now. Yeah. So, uh, Shruti, in addition to that, is not the government there, uh, they have caps on the cost of energy, right? Which causes some of these uh, uh, energy or electricity to shut down to keep their costs down, right? And that causes some of that rolling blackouts as well, right? Almost like a blank sailing, but for, for energy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, China has been known to be notorious like that. They love putting caps, be it in their domestic prices uh, for uh, supplies of energy or in power uh, generation. And that really takes a toll on uh, the commercial operation of these uh, utilities and companies. Um, And yeah. So how do ship owners use your data? What are are they looking at right now? So um, they look at from a market analysis point of view. So what we've done with freight uh, module at Kepler is we are providing a set of supply and demand indicators, uh, very fundamental in that sense. You can go have a look at what are the demand indicators and supply indicators and see what's happening in the market right now, historically, what has happened, and then use that information to predict what can happen. Uh, an example would be like today I uh, read that Cape size bulk rates um, are $80,000 and above. Uh, that's the highest we've seen since 2008. Um, and now there are certain factors inside that are driving this. For example, one of the things was congestion building up in China. So we have a congestion analytics, uh, which is, again, we've built using uh, tech and our human intelligence. And then in just a few clicks, you can go and see how many bulkers or tankers, for that matter, gas carriers are waiting outside Chinese port right now. How long have they been waiting for? Where are they coming from? Um, and what do they carry? What kind of products? For example, when Australia... Uh, China geopolitical issues had emerged. Uh, they literally banned all the Australian cargoes to offload. And that's when we saw the congestion build up. So the vessel owners or the people involved in these trades can quickly go access information to look at each and every vessel that's basically being um, held up uh, of Chinese waters and access those data and see what's happening and um, incorporate that in their decisions. So, Shruti, all that makes perfect, perfectly good sense. But a, a question that comes to my mind is geopolitical information and data. Is that is is that not very influential in in your space? More so, maybe uh, more so than in other spaces, like uh, just container container shipping of uh, e-commerce goods, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is what happens. Like there are sometimes you get these rumors that these talks are happening, but then do you have you need access to data to kind of validate that, that is it having any real impact or not? Um, so that's where we come in. We are able to give that transparency uh, to shipping or commodity flows to for users to go and see, is it actually um, ships from Australia that are getting um, uh, delayed? Or is it, for example, when Swiss Canal got blocked, 
okay, what is your impact? So even any other geopolitical issue, like when OPEC uh, decided to, I think Q2 last year, they just decided that they're going to produce and supply as much as they want. And we saw the exports ramp up. We saw tanker rates uh, going through the roof and we saw a lot of floating storage building up. So where can you go and check and validate all these um, consequences of the geopolitics uh, in terms of your own data and uh, supply and operations? Uh, that's where Kepler comes in. Now, you speak of the data, but you know, we're, when you're talking about black swan events, right, and in the time of COVID, mm -hmm. what... What kind of disadvantage does that put this historical data at? I know with like freight data, it can be really challenging. I mean, you just pull up a sonar chart and it's very hard to compare one year to the next between yeah. 2019, 2020, and 2021, just because of the variance in the market. It can give you occasionally a kind of an inaccurate picture. I would imagine the same has to be on the commodity side, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it depends. Um, yes, the situation is changing, um, but you see how quickly that situation also fades off. So mm -hmm. you will see these spikes uh, we are seeing those spikes. But then the next thing is you can actually relate to all these black swan events in the past and you see immediately right after how the market crashed. So there is benefit in seeing these outliers as well and then to see when the market has returned back to normal. And then you need to adjust your operations and the way you're doing your business accordingly. So at least it gives you uh, some kind of timeline, some kind of comparison with historical events um, and see how you can best manage them. Well, but sure. the, the quicker you can often, collect the data, right? You have a, you, you, the, short, the more you can shorten that view of history in these black swan times, yeah. the quicker you can get data in for yeah. like on, on the freight side of knowing rate per mile and seeing sure. just the trajectory upwards. You don't, you really don't, you need 10 days behind, uh, maybe a week behind a couple days. Like, but you know, where the six months may not necessarily show you much, the quicker you can get that data into the stream, the quicker you can react. Absolutely. And you see it every time, every time it goes up, it has to take a nosedive. So then you can be prepared. Okay. This market is going to crash. It will return back to normal. And this we see, like, again, when Evergreen got stuck, we saw so many vessels lined up, but then it eventually cleaned, uh, cleared up in a, in a week's time. So then it was business as usual. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm interested, Trudy, what about weather uh, predictions, or et cetera, right? So reading about uh, China, for instance, they're already having this issue with their with their supply of energy for heating, et cetera. And it's predicted to be a colder than normal winter, uh, almost an extreme cold. And they've had problems with freezing over there before. Does the commodities market and what you're looking at there react to those type of predictions or do they just kind of get desensitized after a while? No, absolutely. I think seasonal uh, weather outlooks are uh, still a key information that uh, the commodity markets and the freight market react to. Of course, we have the winter season ahead of us. We had the forecast coming out, I think, in a couple of days. Um, and everyone is already gearing up. And that's why you you see uh, this reaction. And again, you can see it in the data, depends on which data set you're looking at. But if your uh, China winter is starting in Q4, like November, you will start see September, August, a lot of these um, uh, offtakes are happening, a lot of these deals happening or let's say it's the hydropower generation in Q2 in China as well. So just before that, they'll start looking at the precip, the Indian monsoon. So it definitely plays a very vital role. And I don't think anyone has been desensitized to it, especially now that uh, we see the weather outlooks becoming more and more unpredictable, both on short and long-term basis. So I think if anything, they are paying more attention to this. Well, if it really is going to be a colder than normal winter and there really might be some sort of energy shortage yeah. or rates get really expensive, you better go out and get a jacket and a sweater before those are out of stock too, Michael Vincent. Those are going to be gone soon enough as well. Yeah, and then you got to contact Shruti to know what to do with your commodities and exactly. when to ship them. Exactly. Well, Shruti, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on here. Um, are you hopeful though? Are you hopeful for what's going on in energy or should we be concerned? <laughs> 
I think it's very hard to predict. We are still trying to wrap our heads around it. But it's it's a cycle. It goes up. It will come down. Uh, we will find a solution, and I think we will go back to normal. Well, thank you, Shruti. I, I, I appreciate your I'm optimism. Hopeful. Here's a little bell for you. A little bell for optimism. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah. A ticker was about to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, one more time. PayCargo's platform is an efficient way to reduce costs associated with payment processing and eliminates the need for traditional resource-intensive payment forms such as checks, vouchers, wire transfers, and cash for all your logistics providers. Yeah, and don't be foolish. Do like I did. And during the break, I went out and you register at paycargo.com. You can get your cargo released in hours, not days. Now we're going to talk to a victim of the shipping crisis. It's Carlos Medina, president of Spillbully, posted on LinkedIn recently this picture. He said, my container has finally arrived. And I believe it's his Spillbully mats in there. Carlos, thank you for uh, joining us on the show. Can you soak up this uh, shipping crisis with these mats? You know what? Um, thank you for having me on, guys. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's been a little bit of a uh, issue um, in regards to uh, being able to bring the world's best absorbent technology. Right. Um, you know, uh, I'm actually on site right now at the Huntington oil spill site. And uh, yeah, um, with that, we were waiting for that container probably for about a good eight weeks to arrive, um, you know, and uh, um, based on one of the last guests, what they just mentioned about uh pre-COVID ocean freight, um, you know, the absorbent market is considered a commodity market. So it makes it extremely oh. challenging for us to be able to introduce the world's best absorbent technology that, uh, that uh, a lot of the individuals that are overseas have to offer. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it took a little bit of time, but we finally got it in. Now, you said you're over in Huntington Beach, so are you using some of the same technology you, you, you put in your consumer mat to maybe aid and assist in what's going on with that oil spill? And if you're on scene, how bad does it look over there right now? You know what? Um, the uh, Marine Spill uh, Rescue Corporation actually did a great job mitigating the spill on, on the water. Um, they had ocean skimmers out there. Um, as of right now, this is my second day here. Um, there was a storm, but um, seems to be handled under control. I think the, the rumor out there is that uh, one of those cargo ships um, actually uh, created the rupture in the pipeline with one of their anchors. It, it, and, wow. you know, when you look at the pattern of where the ships are and where the spill happened, I mean, it, it seems like that would be the likely like culprit. It. And they said that, you know, the pipe that, that was there got dragged, I believe it was 200 yards or, or, or something similar to that. Yeah. You know, the investigation hasn't been done, so not necessarily pointing any fingers, but it, it's not looking good. And it's yet another deep impact of the shipping crisis, the shipping crisis. But um, let's start small. How has it impacted the mats and the importing? You mentioned this container that, you know, took eight weeks. It probably cost more than it usually did. Did that um, hamper your inventory to sales ratio or anything? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it made it very difficult to actually be able to allocate some of that inventory towards this spill cleanup. Um, you know, uh, pre-COVID, we were able to bring over shipping containers um, quite frequently. And the environmental industry is a very impatient industry. You know, the, the event type stuff happens just like the ocean spill, uh, the oil spill here out in Huntington Beach. And uh it's uh, you got you got to be able to respond quickly and you got to be able to have the inventory on hand. So um, luckily, our, our company is a little bit more focused to being able to provide tools like emergency spill kits. Um, and uh, we've been putting a lot of our efforts towards that and also trying to create more domestic partnerships with uh, universities, um, anybody else that's bringing up uh, new technology to clean up oil, chemical spills. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that we've been focusing on right now, because, uh, 
yeah, the, the, the shipping stuff has, has, has finally affected us as far as being able to provide um, the product on time and also at a very affordable cost. Um, you know, it's, it's a cost of doing business when you're cleaning up any kind of hazmat spill. So, Carlos, can you order in larger quantities or more frequently because of these disruptions here? Or does that just kill your, your cost ratio carrying that much inventory on the water? Uh, we, we, we can. Um, but, uh, you know, again, the challenge is being able to get it in an allocated amount of time. And that, that, that container, honestly, just showed up at our doorstep. Um, there was no communication in between um, the port and the broker that was actually bringing it on. So, uh, um, you know, fortunately, um, you know, we were able to offload it in the allocated amount of time. But, yeah, I mean, as far as being able to bring more product in and dealing with distributors, um, now it's it's a situation where if if they want to bring on our product lines, they have to order a full container directed to their door mm-hmm. in order to get that product. Because shipping it out pallet at a time, there's no money to be made at the time selling it individually. Yeah, yeah I, want, I want to drop ship a forty container of spill bullies, uh, but that that's the way it is. So <laughs> tell us a li- tell us a little bit about the uh, the mat itself for those who are not familiar with what a spill bully is and what it does. Yeah, so so we uh, we've uh, I've, I've ventured all the way from uh, Riga, Latvia to Saudi Arabia, gone all the way around the world, and fin- found out that uh, you know um, other countries are actually using they're a lot open, a lot more open to sustainable technology. So um, our absorbents are actually made out of volcan- volcanic rock, lava rock, basalt fiber, um, which basically makes it three times more absorbent um, and also eliminates the use of single use plastics in a perfect example of being able to pick up an oil spill on the water. Um, most of the products that are out there right now are actually full blown polypropylene there. It's melted. And so you're using plastic to clean up hazardous material, but ultimately it ends up getting landfilled. Um, and again, uh, plastic isn't necessarily going to go away anytime soon when it's buried. Um, so we try to use the most sustainable product and lava rock basalt fiber, the way that we see it, it's, it's earth creating its own inventory to clean itself up. What is that? Hold on. I got to ask him real quick then. What is that inventory like? Like, where do you get lava rock? You don't have to give away your secrets here, but where do you get like lava rock from? And is there any uh, shortages going on in the, the lava rock space? You know what? I, there isn't any shortage, but it, it, unfortunately, it comes from Eastern Europe. So, in order to keep up this, with this technology, you know, we have to be able to um, get it from our partners out at Green Ocean. Um, we've been working with them for the last um, four to five years to be able to bring on their technology and make it a staple in the industry. Um, but again, I think that uh, the, the the freight component um, and the shipping situation um, makes it very difficult to scale up that particular product line. So what we're doing right now is is, is looking for more domestic partners, domestic technology um, that is able to fit the spill bully model of being able to create the most innovative, sustainable products um, for cleaning up hazardous materials. Wow. I would not have thought of Eastern Europe as a supply or sourcing for lava rock myself. It's not really part of that whole ring of fire that oh, I learned sure. about before. <laughs> before but uh, i figured tafiti or something like so once it does absorb this stuff the lava rock and the basalt that you have there you said it's like better from moana yeah exactly <laughs> yes you got right. it <laughs> from the heart of tafiti exactly you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome you have kids you know what I'm i talking forgot about. what i was gonna ask him <laughs> how about your holiday inventory how are you looking for the holiday season is this uh is this a big stocking stuff or a gift Who, who's buying the spill bullies at the holidays you, you know what? We, we're, we're looking for corporations that are actually looking to be more sustainable in order to do this. So the, the way that we see our company is it's, it's a tool not to only um, improve sustainability, but also increase profits. Um, you know, using the proper technology in order to clean up an oil spill or chemical spill, um, you know, consolidating your waste, um, you know, really, really imp- 
Im improves um, the, the environmental process by increasing your profits and at the same time, um, keeping your keeping your company more efficient and safe. Um, you know, um, I'm sure you guys all know um, the good old kitty litter that everybody's been using for years and years sure. and years. Um, it's, it's very ineffective. And ultimately what it does, it ends up generating more waste and in turn also causing the company a lot more money on the disposal side. So there, there, there's a whole equation from cradle to grave that I like to call as far as environmental process. And it starts with the materials that you use um, in order to actually save money on the back end. So sometimes you might spend a little bit more money up front, more money up front but ultimately it's going to be able to make your workers a lot more efficient, keep them safe. You don't, you're not inhaling any kind of harmful dust. But the more important thing is the logistics of disposing of your waste. You, you end up shipping up a lot less containers because of the fact that you're using something that is extremely effective for that particular application. Now, Carlos, will this absorb the dude's tears when Ohio State loses to Maryland this weekend? That's wrong, man. You know what? Absolutely. We have some some, some water crying pads that I could go and send out directly <laughs> to him. Um, if needed, not considered hazardous, so you could go ahead and throw that away in the trash after you're done using it. I love <laughs> I it. Carlos, thank you so Carlos. much for sharing the story of what you're doing over there at the oil spill and, and the challenges of getting even goods Brutal. in to help with the oil spill. We appreciate everybody. Check out Spill Bully especially if you need some uh, oil absorbance or you just want to support the company and a, and a cool guy like Carlos. A couple cowbells for you, brother. Take it easy. Appreciate you guys. Peace, Thank brother. you for joining us. <laughs> wow, cool stuff. You know, I, I, it's awful that the oil spill happened, but um, cool that it turned out that his company was able to get in, involved. We didn't like, yeah. book him before and, the oil spill no, happened. No idea he, no so idea happened. he was going to say he was there. In fact, no. we had a couple questions here that, that filled yeah. that right there. Well, we had to talk about Moana, yeah. too, and that eats up a little bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, our next guest here is Greg Finnerty. He's Vice President of Operations at Concept Logistics, but he's also got another role. What well, he it? does. So he's an associate board member of BIMHOF. If you don't know, that's the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame. I Who's think. in the Buffalo Music so, Hall of Fame? So, I mean, we're talking about people like Aretha Franklin, the Goo Goo Dolls, Rick James, and yes, your favorite, Big Steve Kersminski. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of like the Thurman Thomas deep cuts. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on up, Greg. I'm What's right. happening? <laughs> What's up, guys? How you doing? How's Buffalo treating you today? Uh, just trucking up here in Buffalo, baby. Hey, tell, tell us real on. quick, because I, I find this interesting, because um, I come from a music background, and now I'm, you know, now I'm in the world of freight. How, like, how did you transition these, these two worlds together? Uh, I, I'm a lover of music from the beginning, so I just always had it a part of my life. Uh, I had dreams and aspirations of becoming a musician that got squashed pretty early with talent issues. <laughs> um, so we uh, uh, just tried to get involved in the community and Buffalo as much as I can and gotten the advisory board. Wow. That is awesome. I'd love to talk music the whole time. Well, uh, have you forgiven Scott Norwood yet? <laughs> of course. Come on. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness. I hear. Should have well, never been in the pit situation. Well, you know, maybe some shippers need to hear that about the carriers. Maybe there needs to be some some forgiveness. A lot yeah. of people aren't. A lot of brokers angry at carriers. Everyone angry at each other right now. There's a lot of conflict going on. Not everyone's working in lockstep. I mean, you even heard our keynote today. Gene Soroka talking about the truckers, but you ask the truckers, they say, well, we can't get in because of this and that. So as much as we're having conversations, I don't know how much resolution we're necessarily finding yet, and that's something that we have to strive and work towards. What are you seeing from your seat in the supply chain right now? Well, I agree with that 100%, right? So our shippers, you know, I guess boil it down to this. Communication solves just about every problem. And, you, you know, 
using data, using using the, the 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 problems that you see on the floor internally in a freight brokerage, and what our shippers are seeing. The data is only good as as we can communicate it relative to them, right? So, you know, bringing kind of it all full circle and making sure that we're finding individual strategies that really deal with their problems. And 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 I really love what Carlos said, and he you know unintentionally, but he he started mentioning keeping things at a competitive price and how that affects in the supply chain. That transparency is what we need as transportation partners to really help our shippers, help our carriers, you know, reach new levels. And that, I think that's what brokerages and, and what transportations, 3PLs, 4PLs, however you're entering the market, really need to be concentrating on is, is how you can bring people together and elevate them to a higher level. Yeah, having that transparency of what it's taking you. You're brokering this freight and you're trying to get it there. They need to understand that the intermediaries right now are the ones that are getting squeezed on their on their margins. Very hard to keep your margins in times like these. But you guys cross all the different modes, your LTL, your truckload, your dry van, your intermodal temperature control, et cetera. Is there any mode, I'm wondering, where the call comes in and you go, oh, thank God, it's temperature control today. That's the easier of the five. Well, we're, we're traditionally a, a truckload van, dry van brokerage. Right. Uh, we entered LTL last year um, and brought in uh, brought in our TMS that could help us handle it. We brought in a, an awesome team to help us there. We've experienced 40% growth in all this chaos. You know, I mean, the message we see out there is like dogs and cats getting along, mass hysteria, you know, but I think when we calm down, we take a look at what we can do. We take a look at how we can help people and we try to be of service. That's that's when we find it all. And, and yeah, to answer your question, drive in, bring it all day. What's going on in the intermodal space? That's been a huge challenge, too. Huge cog in the wheel and actually a huge bottleneck in the wheel right now when you're talking about servicing the ports and the dray operations, putting it on, on rail. It's been, it's been a challenge. And some people have been like, and this also dovetails into another point, a lot of people have been saying, well, why don't you just build ports all over the place or build ports here and there? You know, I'm from Boston. One of the biggest issues in Boston with that port and expanding it is it's not connected to the rail. The rail's over in Worcester, which with traffic can be like an hour and a half, two hours away. It can take a while to get there. So it, it, it's sort of limited in what it can do, as are most ports that don't have that connectivity. But what are you seeing in the intermodal space? Because I've heard it's a dumpster fire. Yeah, it is. And and we're having a tough time. But uh, one quick, I think your biggest problem in New England is probably the Patriots. But let's let's go into intermodal. I think it's <laughs> Yeah, one good thing. The Bills really have one issue of, of capacity. Bills have one winning record. They for they you know, like they have one winning record. They haven't been this happy since hey. Ryan Fitzpatrick was their quarterback and they gave him a, oh, they gave a hundred million dollar contract. Don't, don't go there. But we got we got it going now. We're we're hitting it up. We're gonna take this home. I think they're but, ready to uh, challenge no, I think, you know, Steve. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve Millard on a call. Steve You're get some what's going on? <laughs> All right, jump at it. Inter- intermodal. Intermodal. I think it's it's a lot of capacity problems. And wow. you know, us not being an IMC, I think we really struggle with getting people in in you know the capacity they need, talking to the right people at the rails. You know, we're pulling stuff out of Cleveland, we're trying to get it over out of Toledo, and just you know, we're when you're when you're kind of like um sitting on the on the sidelines until you get called in it, it makes it even tougher every day yeah so greg you know we're talking about the ports and the congestion and the difficulty of bringing in freight everybody talks about it from a truckload perspective mm-hmm. we do particularly here right and we're mostly in, into truckload data and that type of stuff but you guys acquired ltl are you noticing any difficulties there and what the differences are there when it has to be transloaded right there at the port it's not like you bring oh, in an I- lcl container and drop it on the rail yeah. no yeah i mean you know again we're we're dealing with just about every problem that everybody else is 
Uh, and it depends on the relationship that we can provide in that in that space. But yeah, things happening uh, extra quick. You know, LTL carriers are getting to be real picky on what they're doing. I, I hear of them cutting different uh, product or, you know, operating ratios and all that kind of stuff and taking that into consideration, even hauling it. Uh, you know, then that bounces back into the truckload area and that eats up more capacity. And then, you know, we saw that doom and gloom picture that we uh that's been circulating around the internet the other day of the ports or any containers that are in a holding pattern and you're just kind of waiting for it all to come but again you know i think taking your time and understanding it bringing it to a plan and actually just trying to execute that and just refining it over and over and over again is is the solution we got if we really truly got another year of this it's not sustainable to do what we're doing right now mm-hmm. in that next year Right. So we've got to really bring a different plan, a different look and execute the, to the best of anyone's ability to, to make it happen for our shippers and our carriers. Now, Greg, how about, you know, and you bring up a good point, the sustained perpetual peak season that's been going on all through for through most of last year, through yeah. all of this year. It has a lot of impact on cargo. It has a lot of impact on rates, but it has a lot of impact on people, too. Mm. You know, you're in a stressful yeah. job where the stress, there's no release valve for the stresses. It's been constant, not just on you, on all of you who are in the chat right now. You have to deal with so many complaints, so many challenges, so many struggles. And especially if you're on the, the service side or the 3PL side, you're always wrong anyway. You're wrong in good times. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. In, in, in right time. So how is the like the mental health of the people in the office doing? Are your people holding up okay? We are. And we really concentrate on culture. I mean, you know, and, and when I say culture, that's, you know, the, the buzzword of the century, I guess. But, you know, we care about our people. They hopefully know that. Uh, you know, we, we live by our values. We set up chats. We ask them how they're doing. We do the personal one-on-ones. We make sure that they have a voice. They make sure that they have an outlet. You know, we try to get together outside of work. So you don't, you know, we, we see these people more than we see our families. So, you know, we want to make sure that it's a good experience. It's an experience you want to come back to and, and rely on each other. So it's, a, it's you know, we can go real deep into culture, but it's all about trust and, and, and you know, truly just loving each other and, and making sure we can get the job done together. Excellent words. Amen. And those that carry over from that internal culture leak out to the customers and carriers outside there and build a great, great relationship. Greg, who is, who is missing from the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame? Who belongs in there that, uh, that it's just, a, it's just tragic or travesty. They haven't been inducted. You know, I, I mean, we, we, we don't have a huge list out there that's, that's missing at this point, but I'm sure we'll keep, uh, going, I guess, uh, and I think they're in it already, maybe not, but, uh, I, I think Mo might be a band that, that needs a little bit more recognition or, uh, every time I die, maybe can get in there a little bit. There you go. All right. Well, they're going to manufacture no more bands, right? The, the, like they're, the they're out of a uh, band capacity for the yeah. rock and roll. Everyone's out of everything. Yeah. Not even enough inventory for the rock and roll hall of fame. Hey, thank you so much <laughs> for your time today, Greg, a little cowbell for you. Thank you for joining us. As we said, What the Truck is a show that is on three times a week. We will be back live on Friday at noon Eastern time. And we have some awesome guests. We have the brains behind G-Captain. We have why bootstrapping a company and crowdfunding millions in 2021 created an impossible situation for one e-tailer and how they survived. We have the latest in LiDAR with Alistair. That's What the Truck. Look it up on your favorite podcast player. And stay tuned at Ocean Waves because we have a ton of more content coming. we got good friend of the show, Grace Sharkey. What is this? What the ship? Where's my royalty? What the ship? Our SMBs what being the left ship? out in the cold. Grace Sharkey and Caitlin Murphy coming up right here. By the way, all this stuff will be on demand. Available on demand after on tv.freightwaves.com. For Duner and the Dude, 
bang, bang. Peace and love, everyone. Peace and love.